We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app you probably don't need to hear any more examples of how the coronavirus pandemic has changed everything but have you been on a metro commuter train lately yeah me neither and that's the problem for my guest this weekend the man who runs the metro rail line and he's trying to get the passengers back. Hello, I'm Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is James Derwinski. He is the executive director of Metra. It's a job he's had since 2017, but he's an almost lifelong railroad man, and he's been with Metra since 1997. He started at the company as an electrician in the mechanical department and eventually ran that whole operation. Now he runs the entire rail system. We are, thanks to COVID-19, social distancing, and we are doing this interview via Zoom conferencing. Uh, Jim Derwinski, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Craig. It's good to be here. Well, so on a normal day prior to the coronavirus, Metro carried people on some 270,000 trips per day. Right now, the ridership, as I understand it, is less than 10% of that, some 25,000 trips per day. Tell me what that means in real terms when it comes to, you know, running a railroad. Well, obviously, the challenge is um, for us is the uh, revenue piece of this and paying the bills. You know, without the CARES Act coming in from the federal government, um, we wouldn't be in the status that we're in right now. We're able to use that to supplement the loss of revenue. From a social distancing perspective, there's no problem. You know, we used to put 1,500 people on a full train. Today, our fullest train's about 400 people. One of the things we did at the onset of the pandemic was reduce the schedule. Um, so as we reduced the schedule down to about 55% of the pre-pandemic schedule, we recognized obviously that the frequency of service isn't there. So one of the challenges right now as we start um, in this regrowth period, as we try to bring people back to the system, is strategically doing the chicken and the egg, um, putting a train on that may not have enough people on it and justifying that from an expense perspective, but yet not having that option for the passenger as we move forward could be an impediment to more riders coming back. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there are any business models that uh, would guide running a transit operation with only 10% of the ridership. Uh, you talked about the schedule cuts. Have you also had to cut personnel? No, we've been very fortunate. The CARES money that came in has given us the ability through just general attrition, retirements, to not basically fill all jobs, but no, not any cuts yet. We're right now working on repurposing personnel from 
operating positions into capital positions. And um, well, once again, with the service cuts, uh, we did have to kind of put some of the crews um, down from their normal operations, but we have them there as insurance. They absolutely, it takes a tremendous amount of time to train an engineer and a conductor to operate the train. So, you know, as we look and glean toward the idea of having increased uh, amount of trains out there, we're going to need those crews available. And can you talk a little bit about that, what you call the chicken and egg, um, of what you're doing about the length of the trains and, you know, uh, how many of them you can run? Because, you know, obviously because of social distancing, you've got to take that into account. Yeah, so pretty much um, from the onset of the pandemic when ridership was really low and we were all learning what this pandemic was going to do for us about social distancing, masks on trains and, and all that kind of stuff. We basically extended all the train lengths to about eight or nine cars. And by putting it at eight or nine cars, we've come up with kind of one person per seat on the lower level gives everybody enough room to be apart from each other. Um, up, upper level, it's a little less. We've come up with a rough number of about 50 people per car. Um, I don't really know of any of our cars right now that are holding 50 people, but you can figure on a nine car train. That's 450 people. And like I said in the beginning here, our heaviest train right now is 400. It's not daily 400. Um, it's one of the Rock Island trains heading home in the evening, um, more of a semi-express. And so we're really looking at that one, about expanding that one. But we literally now uh, look at ridership trends daily, which is something that uh, we're just you know looking for that edge, that ability to enhance the service and, and have it make sense both financially and operationally. Which lines have suffered the most? I mean, that are taking the biggest hits in terms of ridership and revenue. I mean, they all pretty much across the board have fallen down um, to about 10%. Interestingly enough, when we were mostly just moving essential workers, our Metro Electric line actually was the highest ridership line um, and the Rock Island line. Since then, since we've started seeing more discretionary riders start returning, um, the lines right now that are accelerating the fastest in ridership growth are the UP Northwest and the Union Pacific North line compared to their, you know, when we were only moving essential workers. Well, since you bring up the UP, you've got a problem there, right? Because uh, the Union Pacific, and I think we every once in a while need to remind viewers or viewers, listeners, <laughs> Where am I? Uh, that not every Metro line is exactly run by Metro. And the, the Union Pacific is its own company, and they're not collecting fares, right? That is correct. And yeah, so just to clarify your point, uh, Metro owns and operates uh, seven of the 11 lines. Um, the Burlington Northern is one of the lines under contract where the Burlington Northern operates it. And then the Union Pacific operates the Union Pacific West, Northwest, and North Line. And like I like to explain it to people, it's certainly Metra's trains. The, the cars and locomotives are Metra's maintained by Union Pacific employees and Union Pacific shops, operated by Union Pacific personnel wearing a Metra uniform. Tickets are sold by Union Pacific personnel wearing Metra uniforms. And it's dispatched by Union Pacific right out of Omaha. So yes, this is a Union Pacific uh, contract that we have with them, a purchase a service agreement. And right now, and we disagree with Union Pacific on this, their belief is that their conductors shouldn't be in forward facing public positions inside the train car collecting the fares. 
we clearly on all 11, on all the other eight of the 11 lines, including the BNSF, are collecting fares. We provided um, the uh, employees with the proper PPE. Uh, we have enhanced the sanita sanitation on board the train, including every car now has uh, touchless hand sanitizers. And following CDC guidelines, specifically from FRA for transit, um, we're, we're operating the train safely. Uh, so once again, we disagree with the Union Pacific's decision not to have the conductor going through the train collecting fares. Uh, is this a contract issue for them? In other words, do they have some kind of contract with their own employees where they're responding to the fears of the workers? Um, I'm not aware exactly what the interaction is between uh, their corporate office and their, their um, employees directly here. It is a contractual issue between Metra and Union Pacific. And of course, we will, um, if need be, use provisions within that contract as we try to navigate through this. Um, once again, our clear belief is it's safe to collect fares right now. And what is this costing? Uh, and what is this, this difference of opinion costing Metra? Well, right now we have a special out there, and we've done that special since the beginning of June called the $10 all-day fare. And we did that, obviously, because of the uncertainty on, and passengers' ridership patterns as they come back, and, of course, all the uncertainty in the financial world. So based on their current ridership numbers, it's about $1 million a month if you just take the, the basic $10 fare and multiply it by the, the number of rides they're um, delivering. Does this give you any problem with the people on the other lines that are, are in fact saying, wait a minute, if I were UP North, I wouldn't have to pay anything? Yeah, it, and it's a huge concern of ours. You know, a lot of passengers do not uh, discern that that's a Burlington Northern you know, operated train or a Union Pacific operated train, or, you know, in a lot of cases, there's still the name, the Rock Island. The Rock Island went bankrupt in 1980, but we still call it the Rock Island line. People don't discern that. They see Metra. Um, it's Metra on the Venture app. It's Metra uh, on the TV. And uh, they don't discern that. So, yeah, we have a lot of passengers calling in, uh, emailing in their concerns about that. And unfortunately, our, our answer right now is, once again, we disagree with the Union Pacific's decision. We feel that they should be collecting fares. And we are actively trying to work with Union Pacific to uh, move them toward uh, what I'll call a sense of normalcy on those trains. How does the monthly pass uh, figure into this? Because there have been times when, especially in crowded times when uh, the uh, conductors couldn't get through trains, uh, where it's not so bad that they weren't able to collect fares because the whole, how is that figuring during this pandemic? I, I'm assuming very few people have monthlies right now. Yeah, your assumption is pretty correct. There are, there are still monthlies being sold. Um, they're significantly down from normal times. Um, at this $10 all-day pass, um, with the flexibility that some people are working from home maybe a couple days a week, um, certainly right now it makes more fiscal sense for them to do the $10 pass and go to the monthly pass. So yeah, our monthly pass sales are way down. But to your other point, we don't have that other problem of having very crowded trains that the conductor can't get through, at least on the lines where we are getting the conductor through the train. Okay, so if you have at least a one line, can, you know, conductors who are leery of, or, or the line, leery of having their people walking the aisles, how do you convince customers to come back? 
Yep, that's uh, once again, that's the chicken and the egg on a different note, right? So as we want to uh, tell people and, and display to people how clean and sanitized and ready we are for them to come back, the Union Pacific certainly by their decision isn't helping this. Um, we've been, once again, negotiating, navigating, talking with, trying to explain to no avail at this point in time um, the necessity to get back to normalcy. And then normalcy means a conductor and an assistant conductor on that train performing the normal functions they have for the last 40 years. So now this is bringing us to uh, what Metra is doing to persuade its passengers to return to the line when they when they can and when they need to. Uh, and, you know, it's a nearly million dollar advertising campaign. And here's where I'm going to uh, play just a bit of one commercial just for our listeners to hear what we're talking about before we talk about it. Every day, we're sanitizing and disinfecting our trains. We use hospital grade air filters. You'll find hand sanitizer on board. Masks are mandatory. We're practicing physical distancing and giving you extra time at your station, all to get you to work or home safely and on time. You see, we're still your best way to commute. That's why it really is my Metra for all of us. So basically, well, why don't you give me the philosophy behind the messaging here, Jim? Well, so the, the whole my Metra um, is something that we actually started looking at pre-COVID. Um, we were looking internally at five years of decline in ridership, um, and that's, that's just the facts. So we were looking internally, what should we start doing differently, and what does this look like? So uh, we contracted with a company early on, a Chicago-based marketing company called LKHNS, um, really brought them on board, let them kind of sniff around a bit, meet our employees, um, get deep into the weeds. They're riders of our trains, but then bringing them on, I actually challenged them to kind of look at us internally and say, what could we do differently to once again, improve that passenger experience. The whole campaign is about improving the passenger experience. This was pre COVID. It fits so perfectly in COVID now, because as you talk about bringing people back, we have to convince them not just that it's safe, but for all the other reasons, um, the on-time performance, the safety, the ability to have flexibility and control in their lives. Um, you know, we're going to get you there to where you're going 95% on time. Even better right now because we have less trains out there interacting with the freights. So we launched this campaign um, in a sense to the passengers at this point in time because we really feel that the, the crest has occurred. In other words, we, we don't know when the vaccine's coming. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave, but we do know this, that um, businesses in general are talking about getting back to face-to-face -face communication. Um, those roadways are starting to get very crowded out there. Accidents are occurring at a much higher rate than, than pre-pandemic levels. And so people are going to have that ability to start wondering, hey, is it time for me to go back in Metro? What should I try? What have they done? And so the campaign in the beginning here at, at the kickoff that we did last week was all talking about what Metro's done to take out um, that uncertainty and give certainty into the uh, question, what has Metro done from an employer and employee perspective? You're listening to WBBM News Radio's Ad Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking with Jim Derwinski, Executive Director of Metro, the commuter rail line, and we were recording this interview via Zoom. Let's talk about what's behind that messaging, which is the actual cleaning, the extra 
attention that's being given to the cars and frankly to the passengers. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the physical attributes of this thing are really incredible. Um, and I can't emphasize enough, this came from homegrown. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there that have tried a lot of different things. But our physical coach cleaners really started coming up with a lot of these things. They wanted to make a difference. They recognized with the collapse of ridership that we were going to have to show the passengers when they come back something different. That's independent of the sanitation piece, which, which goes with the health. So they've taken the opportunity over this last uh, four or five months to deep clean every car to pristine condition. So the first thing, if you haven't been on the train in a while, you may notice when you get on the train is, wow, this thing looks like a brand new car. It might be from the 1960s. But the fact of the matter is we deep clean the, the heck out of them. On a daily basis now, we're fogging and using some industrial cleaners, sanitation equipment um, to, to add that extra emphasis with regard to you know viruses both in the air and on surfaces and so these this campaign and the videos and we've been pressing them out through social media as well really demonstrate using our employees demonstrate the physical work that's being done the steam cleaning the fogging the sanitation the wiping of the high touch areas and the fact that we now have touchless hand sanitizers on each and every car for people if they feel that they need that plus Obviously, the, the whole uh, discussion right now about wearing masks on the train. Um, we really emphasize the fact that right now, that's, that's the rules. Um, we hand out masks on a regular basis. We use messaging all the time to make sure people understand that that part of safety, Metro stands behind. Have you gotten much, if any, resistance to the masks? We um, have had resistance. And, I, and I, you can imagine uh, social media is an interesting world. Um, you, you don't typically get 80% uh, compliments to 20% complaints. So when we do see things in, they typically do come in the complaint format, um, and they have been some about the masks. So we've been doing a much more aggressive with our conductors campaign internally, having them physically annotate on their trains what does mask compliance look like. And we're happy to report it's in the mid uh, mid 90s right now of compliance. So there are some people that don't wear the mask and what we've done is equip our conductors with masks so that we can continue just like the other service boards to remind people that that's a requirement. Here's a mask in case you forgot it and to try to get them to be compliant to that. But th it is an issue, but it's luckily for us, it's like 95% compliant. Uh, are you getting complaints from people who are riders who are complaining about others who aren't wearing Absolutely. You know, and, you know, so unfortunately for us, if your first experience back after six months is you brought your mask, you're ready to go, you've watched the videos and you sit down on the train and kitty corner or upstairs is someone without a mask, your, your experience is now tainted by that, that. And so it's been a struggle and it's been a struggle all over the country. The entire country's had the same struggle with regard to 100% mask compliance. The uh, South Shore Line, which uh, runs into Indiana, created mask-optional cars. What do you think of that as an idea? Uh, cars, you tell the people who don't want to wear masks, go sit there. You know, I, I know Mike Nolan, their president, very well. Um, he's part of the APTA with us and part of our commuter rail coalition. And we, we communicate with our peers all the time about what's working, what's not working. Um, when that came out, 
we clearly looked at it that that would be not an option for Metra as our governor indicated that on public transportation, he wants masks worn. So we weren't about to make that an option here on, on Metro trains. Um, I saw the ads that ran this week uh, with, uh, with that. I think NBC picked that up this week. And there's a lot of discussion about whether or not that, that's um, crazy or, or brilliant. Um, and I think the people that are on the train like the option. Okay. Uh, I, I, before we leave this issue, uh, can you talk about the, the cost of the extra stuff that you're doing, the manpower and the expense of the cleaning beyond what was normally done? Yeah, it's kind of hard to get a total handle on that because what's ended up happening over a period of time now is we've shifted workforces around, specifically with our cleaners. So where we used to have to clean 792 cars every day, we don't have to clean 792 cars every day. So the cost hasn't really gone up because we've been able to shift workforce around. Cost has gone up on product, um, you know, just putting the new products on the train. There's obviously an additional cost there. But because we've been able to uh, not lay people off and then shift workforce around, we're kind of still operating in that same cost per cleaning of cars that we did before, including the enhanced cleaning that we did now, what we're calling seasonal. Um, as we start putting new cars back on, we are definitely aware that that will be an additional cost to us to maintain this level of cleanliness. And so we're contemplating that as we build the next year's budgets. And are you starting to see people coming back, more people coming back? So, Positively, um, we've been kind of plateaued at 25% since early August. Um, I'm happy to report because the numbers are what they are. Um, since uh, we launched the campaign last week, this week we saw a 10% bump in ridership based on last week's numbers. So it's the first uh, incremental rise we've seen since we've pretty much plateaued toward the beginning of August. So hopefully this campaign has given people what they need, the information and the certainty that when they get on the train, what conditions should they expect and they'll start coming back to us a little more. Ultimately, this is gonna be central business district and, and the business owners and managers about allowing their employees to come back. And, you know, obviously we all know what the vaccine could potentially produce. And that's something that I did want to talk to you about. Uh, how concerned are you that more companies are going to let a lot of that work from home stay home and that a certain proportion of your passengers may never come back? Absolutely. I mean, this we can't uh, escape the fact that, uh, and I've just been out talking with many of my employees all over the system, we are going to look different post-COVID than we did pre-COVID. We are not going to run the same um, 692 trains, the same train lengths, and the same stop patterns. We're going to have to reinvent ourselves. Some of those passengers um, aren't going to come back. And if they don't come back even two days a week, that's a 40% loss of that passenger, meaning they may, may, they may not buy monthly tickets anymore. They may look for a different fare product. So we've been really looking at changing fare products to maybe adapt to what could be the new future. Um, we're doing a lot of this advertising right now just to talk to people about the safety on the trains, but we're going to continue advertising, talking about the effectiveness of the confidence you can have in the commute, not just about the cleanliness, but about the fact being there on time, 18 times safer than being in the road on the roadways. At least that's what the APTA um, studies tell us. 
we're also seeing a huge amount of shifting of uh, the housing market in the suburbs. What I know is we're really good at moving typically people from suburbs into the central business district. So we're going to be doing a lot of looking around uh, at uh, people out there and, and trying to make sure they know that we're an option to come back downtown. You know, and on the Burlington Northern Line, I know you're familiar with that line or busiest yes, station route. Route 59, we used to hear that there was almost a five-year waiting list for people to get into that parking lot. Um, uh, I, I, I know that it was at least two years, uh, and that was some 30 years ago. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's bad. So certainly as we move forward, we look at those kind of options, things that we don't even control. There may be people that have wanted to ride Metro for a long time, but just simply didn't have the option. And we're going to have, as I like to say, open doors ready for them when they're ready to come back. Let's talk about other possible solutions to the problems. One of them you alluded to earlier, and that's federal help. You got some of it uh, from the CARES Act. Uh, how much has Metro gotten and what more does it need? Yeah, the, the first part's easy, $479.2 million, call it $480 million. Um, to date, through the uh, end of July, we spent $125 million of that $480 million. Um, currently, right now, if we do nothing, um, that's what we like to say, if we do nothing, um, we're going to run out of that money somewhere around the end of second quarter in twenty one. But of course, we're not going to do anything. We're going to continue to look at some efficiencies here. Uh, we're going to continue to look at shifting some workforce around to really save the operating expense. We're going to increase our capital programs in the near future here, once again, to extend that CARES money out. The second part of that is a hard answer because just like the first part when the $480 million came, you know, a lot of people said that's a, that's a tremendous amount of money, and it absolutely is. I mean, transit in the country received $25 billion, and of that $25 billion, $480 million came to Metro. But we never knew how long the pandemic was going to last and what the reaction. It's very clear now, you know, sitting in our house for two weeks isn't going to fix this. Two months, we're at about 26 weeks now. Um, so to, to understand how, how much money we need in the future really is going to be about the effectiveness of a vaccination, the effectiveness of governmental policy and letting people back into the workplace, into the restaurants, into the ballparks, into the stadiums, into the larger events. And, and that probably will then uh, define probably more of what we needed. Um, I will tell you right now, we, we would love to have another 480 million. Uh, that will help us uh, have certainty probably for about the next two years as we have to rebuild the system. But uh, you are obviously aware of the, uh, the headlines just a day or so ago uh, where uh, RTA chairman Kirk Dillard suggested that, uh, well, among other things, he was talking about all of the service lines, but suggested weekend trains might vanish on Metra. Tell, tell me about what are the kinds of scenarios down the, down the track, so to speak, that you are looking at if things don't get better. Absolutely. Um, you know, over the, every, every board meeting we project out through the end of 21, right now we, we show our whole at, based on current ridership and tax scenarios, uh, $682 million. That whole filled with 480 million leaves, you know, a little over $200 million gap in 21. Once again, we're gonna continue to take actions to reduce expense, to continue to drive that hole smaller. But without that federal money coming in, 
because I don't believe right now the state's in a position to really support us. Um, the city is, certainly has its issues and uh, really helps CTA more than it would help Metra. Without that federal aid coming in, those hard decisions are going to have to happen. Um, ultimately, we have, we're required to balance budgets and pay bills. And so those decisions, uh, when it comes to reduction of service, you know, are going to go across the board from, you know, what does midday service look like? What does evening service look like? What does weekend service look like? What does duplicity of service look like when you have a line next to another line? Uh, we don't like any of these scenarios. We're keeping them kind of tight to the to the vest with regard to um, we don't want to be an alarmist to anybody. But the truth of the matter is all across this country, um, these scenarios are starting to play out. Um, if the funding doesn't come in, the New Yorks, the Philadelphias, and, and some of these other bigger cities are going to really start setting the table for these bad conversations. Is the idea that there might be fewer trains on the weekends, or could we actually see weekend service gone? You know, those are the discussions we're going to ha absolutely have to bring to our board for consideration. Um, we're going to have to look at, obviously, you know, the cost of running any amount of the service. Um, once again, midday service, uh, duplicity of service, um, uh, weekend service. Every single one of these is going to have to be a, a conversation that we're going to have to bring to the board. And, uh, and I, as I said to my board, my last board meeting, the board's um, input into this next budget has never been more important. Um, and those conversations are going to have to really, uh, as they all represent this entire region, um, really weigh in on the ramifications of some of those actions if we don't get the funding. Well, I hate to end on such a gloomy note, but uh, that is all the time we have. That is Metro Director Jim Derwinski. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, to our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the page. I'll otherwise follow the podcast link. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of That Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.